0: Okay, um, in the Ten Commandments, in fact, um, God finishes up the Ten Commandments by saying, Thou shalt not covet, right? Don't covet your neighbor's house or wife or donkey, which you know, I'm sure that all of you are looking at your neighbor's donkey and going, that's one I want right there. That's, that's, that's it. That's a good-looking donkey. Um, but at the root of coveting, is jealousy, right? (laughs) At the root of coveting is jealousy. After the first two commandments, don't don't have any God before me, any other God before me, and don't make an idol out of anything. God says, because I am a jealous God. So on one hand, God says, I'm jealous. and On another hand, He tells us, don't be jealous. Wait a minute, right? That's odd. That's that's interesting because, I mean, we like our leaders to be authentic. We like our leaders to not just say, do this and then not do it, right? And in fact, in fact, God in another place says, my name is jealous. I mean, dude, like, hi, how are you? I'm Kevin. I'm jealous, Who does that? Some of you may say, I dated jealous, but they didn't call themselves jealous, right? You had to figure that out on your own. So, what gives? God's saying, I'm jealous on one hand, but saying, don't be jealous on another. Today, we're going to look at the King of Kings who is jealous. Like, maybe people had a premonition, like, we're going to talk about jealousy today in church. I'm not going. You know, like, we're, that's not that's going to be the week I miss. This is not, this is, you know, God as jealous is not the get a whole crowd in here sort of sermon, right? Like, we don't want to talk about that. We don't like to talk about that. In fact, some of you may even say, this is why I have some issue with God or issue with the church or issue with this whole thing is because why on earth would I worship a God that's jealous? By the end of this, hopefully you can see that maybe you even want a God that's jealous. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. King Nebuchadnezzar is gone. Now we're going to talk about the one story in the entire Bible about King Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son. Daniel 5, King Belshazzar, verse 1. You can follow along Bible app in the event. Of course, Hardbound Bible will have everything on the screen. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. King, or king Belshazzar is making a mockery of God by, by having this drunken feast and utilizing what God's people use to worship God with, utilizing those in his drunken feast. All right. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him his limbs gave away, and his knees knocked together. I mean, this dude's distressed, right? Like, if it, 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 another translation says his hips nearly, like, dislocate. Like, that's, that's how worked up this king is about this. I mean, shoot, if a hand showed up right behind me, we're all a bunch of pasty white people. We'd get to see pasty white people at that point in time, right? The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Another question that comes to mind is this. Why? Why King Belshazzar? Why why this extreme uh, message? Uh, why, why did King Belshazzar receive this particular message in this way? I mean, shoot, his father threw three of God's main men into a fiery furnace, but no hand showed up. Why? Why him? Why now? Why this way? Verse 10. The queen, which better, is better translated the queen mother, Okay, this is this is the one that birthed Balthazar, one of the wives of Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the uh, banqueting hall, and the. Queen declared, "O King, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. It's <laughs> funny, but Mom is driving home the point, right? Like your father, the father, the king, father, your father, the king." Um, you're uh, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So you know, I kind of you know made fun of how many times she said, "Your father, the king, the father, the king." The don't you know that Belshazzar knew Daniel? Don't you think, maybe, that maybe he didn't want to have Daniel be a part of his kingdom? We continue. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, and the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom were found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Now, Daniel, when King Nebuchadnezzar needed something solved, and King Nebuchadnezzar was like, I'll give all this stuff to you, to, to whomever solves this. Daniel, if you solve this, I'll give all, your stu- all this stuff to you. Daniel never refused it. But he, ref- he refused Belshazzar's offer. Why? Why would Daniel have no part in Belshazzar's kingdom? Why would he? If you keep a score at home, we've got three questions. That we've asked. One, why would God call Himself jealous but tell us don't be jealous? Two, why this message in this way at this time to this king? And three, why would Daniel not have any part of the kingdom? Let's keep reading. Five twenty four. Then from his presence the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsian. I don't know how to pronounce those things. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So why did Daniel not want the rewards of Belshazzar? <laughs> he saw the handwriting on the wall, right? He saw the handwriting on the wall. Either he walked in, literally saw the handwriting on the wall, and was like, Ey. No, no, don't, I don't, need, I don't need any of your gifts. Like, we're good. We're fine. Your gold, <laughs> your position, it means nothing to me. Or, or, it went way back, right? King, uh, Daniel worked for King Nebuchadnezzar. He served King Nebuchadnezzar. He served him without reservation. Even when his three buddies got thrown in the fiery furnace, Daniel kept serving King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a world-dominating tyrant, but Daniel still worked for him. Look, we have this in our in, in our own life. You can work for a boss that might be a little bit gruff, a little bit, mm, a little bit, ee, but you're not going to work for his frat boy son, right? That takes over daddy's kingdom, daddy's, daddy's workplace. This is all Belshazzar. are... Is. He's a frat boy king that takes everything that Nebuchadnezzar had and just had drunken festivals with it. And Daniel's like, I'm good. Like, really. Like, keep your gold, keep your possessions, keep your position. I don't want any part of a kingdom that's going down. I don't want to be caught up in the shrapnel. But then, why this message in this way? God singles out those who make a mockery of Him. In one of the verses, or the section of verses in the Old Testament, where God talks about how He is a jealous God, He says, those who know, those who know better, those who have, heard and received and seen my grace and my goodness and my forgiveness and then want to pretend like they don't know it or want to to come and and, and have this religious facade and and, and be all about looking good uh, amongst my people in my my religious settings, but, but go about their business all the rest of the week, I will single them out. I will single them out. It's a promise of God. Like we like the good promises of God, right? You know, he's always with us and blah, 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 you know. I'll single them out. The more I do this, the more I'm around, the more I hear stories. God is not afraid to single out people who want to come take advantage of of what attending church looks like, because it's good for business, or that's what we do in suburbia, or it makes my image look good, but then I'll live however I want to the rest of the week. God will single out those who make a mockery of Him. We're talking about a secular mockery here, like King Belshazzar is not interested in God, but He knew. What did Daniel say? You know these stories of your father. You you know these stories. But you chose to do this anyway. You know the grace that God gave your father. You know the forgiveness that God gave your father. But you chose to make a mockery of him anyway. But every time in the Old Testament, God specifically says, I'm a jealous God, he is talking to his people. He's not talking to people that don't know him at all. Maybe you say, oh, you know what? I mean, that's the Old Testament God. That's the God that, you know, like, if he was really loving, like, there's no way that he would be jealous and single people out. Maybe that's the most loving thing that he can do. See, if He singles us out while we still have breath, He's trying to get us to repent. He's trying to break us. He's trying to mold us. He's trying to make us into the person He wants us to become. But if He singles us out after our last breath is breathed, there is no time for repentance. The fact that He might single us out Before we die, is His goodness, is His kindness, is His love. But now we get to the biggest question, right? The biggest question of the morning. Why would God be jealous? Especially if He tells us not to be, right? See, we we look at this through the framework of bad jealousy. What he tells us. Don't be jealous about somebody else's house or spouse or boat or goat, right? But there is a positive jealousy. There is a good jealousy. Especially it shows itself in two ways. One of the ways is helped illustrated by this clip. A little bit of setup. We have a memorial assembly thing over a, 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 a child in the school that has died. We have three four friends of the of of the of the child, of the, the kid, and then two bullies. I think that's enough setup for this clip. Go ahead. But before she comes up here, I just want those of you who are having trouble dealing with this tragic loss to know. Look at these fakers. They probably didn't even know his name till today. <laughs> Who is interested in this? This is so stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, you are such a great student. Oh, he's gonna leave a hole in the community. <laughs> Last breather, how are these people interested in all <laughs> Guys laughing over there, and I think that's a real messed up thing to do. Didn't you listen to the counselor, Wheeler? Grief shows itself in funny ways. Besides, what's there to be sad about anyway? Will's in Fairyland now, right? Flying around with all the other little fairies, all happy and gay. Yeah. <laughs> la 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 la. la. Dead, we dead. <laughs> Dude, Troy beat himself. <laughs> when somebody has jealousy defending somebody else's honor. We call that good, right? Right. We, we, we see that clip and see the mockery that those bullies are, 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 are having over the life of, a, of, of this kid. And we go, yeah, you had it coming, right? That's fair. That's fair jealousy. Another aspect of fair jealousy is this. When somebody gives gifts to another person, And then this person throws those gifts down and stomps on those gifts. We say about this person, you have the right to be jealous. Like, that's an emotion you should have. Right? That would be called positive jealousy. There's two main ways... God expresses Himself in relationship throughout the Bible. Father and husband. Father and husband. You get it when a father or a husband defends the image of His kids or His spouse. or mother, or wife, right? And we get it when a father becomes jealous because their kid or their spouse or their husband and spouse stomp all over the gifts given to them. This is the jealousy God has. Four different times in the Old Testament, God talks about being jealous. The first time, it's with the Ten Commandments. I rescued you, I redeemed you from slavery and gave you the gift of freedom. The Egyptian gods did not do that. Do not make another idol because I'm a jealous God. Don't trample on the gift that I gave you. Another time, I will give you the promised land that I promised to your fathers. I will give you that land. I will drive out the people. You will find victory over this, even though you should never beat these guys in battle. I will give you cities that you did not build, homes you did not build. I will give you vineyards you did not plant. I will give you a ready-made country. The gods of these tribes did not do this for you. I did. I am the living God. Do not trample on this gift. Another time, he said, I have given you creation. I created all of this. I created the sun and the moon and the stars to give it to you. Think about that. Think about that. And he says, Do not worship the created order. They did none of this for you. I'm a jealous God. Number four, I gave you relationship. I gave you relationship. I am Emmanuel. He has been Emmanuel all the time, for all of creation, for all of time. He is Emmanuel. I give you relationship. Don't stomp on that gift. No other God has done this. I'm a jealous God. Another reason why God wrote on that wall is to prove that those statues, they weren't living. He was a living God. Those statues weren't going to become living and write anything at any time. I am the living God. So, we have a loving Heavenly Father. We have a loving husband who died on the cross to give us the gift of relationship. As the writer of Hebrews says, do not trample on the cross. See, what making a mockery of God is is what the Pharisees did. What the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. And didn't Jesus single them out for that? They took everything from the what we know of as the Old Testament, what they had as Scriptures, and and decided just to make their own way with it. Trampling on the relationship that God wanted to have. Trampling on the foreshadow and the prophecies of Jesus Himself as He was standing before them. Trampling on God's desire to have the nations and those far from Him come to know Him. And Jesus singled them out for it. And what happened? Their hearts grew harder, right? Until they ended up demanding that he be put on the cross. Jealous God is a difficult conversation. And being singled out is a difficult conversation. But at the same time, when somebody that we hear of lives this way, a religious facade, but lives however they want to all the rest of the days of the week, and they're the one singled out, and we hear about that story, we're like, serves them right, right? But when it becomes potentially us, we're like, wait a minute, a loving God would never do this. We can't have it both ways. Now, the danger with a sermon like this is those that are soft already towards God are going to freak out internally. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh no! 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 Oh God's going to! Sin. I'm going to go to hell now. Look, it's right to be fearful of a holy God, but in the same way that it is right to be fearful of a loving Father. And then on the flip side, those that are already hard, are like, whatever. Whatever. Allow this to be your warning. If you've been selling yourself whatever the entire sermon, let this be your warning. God won't be mocked. He's a jealous God. He will single you out. Take this time to single yourself out. Say, me. I'm that one that's saying whatever. Bow before your jealous Heavenly Father. Because don't we all want somebody to be jealous over us? Don't we all want somebody to be jealous over us? Because that means they love us. Right? That means they care. That means there's something about us worth their jealousy. That cross proves there's something about us worth the jealousy. We go back into a time of worship. Worship the God that is jealous over our affection. Worship the husband that died on the cross for his bride, church. And now and allow his kindness to lead us to repentance for all us all of us to single ourselves out and say, me it's me but allow but allow but allow repentance to lead to refreshment the grace of God is greater than anything we can do the grace of God is harder than the hardest heart on the face of this earth that is our jealous King. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. We thank You for being jealous over us. Because that proves that You love us. There's something worth being jealous about. Help Break our heart. But allow us to feel the healing of your right, of your righteousness, your the repentance, and, and your grace. Help us. Help us to not trample on the gifts that you give us. It's your name we pray. Amen.